Welcome. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. Good morning, church. How are y'all? Good. We're going to be reading uh, this morning in uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 30 through 33, if you want to turn ahead of time there with me. But I do want to highlight some activities. Um, this is going to be a busy week for the church. Um, tonight's a bonfire for the youth, so I don't know what they're going to plan to burn down, but they'll be bonfiring. All right. The um, ladies have a Bible study on Tuesday, of course, and uh, another one on Tuesday evening. And then uh, um, the annual brunch for the ladies is Saturday, 1030. There's a sign-up sheet outside, so don't just show up at the Holmes house. Please sign up and let them know that you're coming. The men are having a pig roast Saturday night, so we're looking forward to that. And one other item, of course, is VBS is upcoming. So there's a, you should have one of these in your bulletin. And if you can par participate, you need to sign up and turn that in also. I am looking for a children's Sunday school teacher for June and July. Uh, as I said, I think a couple weeks back, I don't want to uh, uh, run Audrey into the ground. Um, and they have some activities planned out of town uh, during June. So we have a curriculum, so you don't have to make it up. Uh, you can follow our curriculum. So June and July, I'd like to have, uh, if the Lord leads you, to, uh, to teach those two months for children's Sunday school meaning at 9.30 till 10.15 or so. I think that's about everything. Did I miss anything? If not, then we'll go to Proverbs chapter 8, and I'll start reading at verse 30 where it says, Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily in his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in, in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Well, there's some pretty good advice right there. Let's bow our heads together. We'll pray together. Then we'll sing together. God, we've come to uh, worship you today. We look forward to our opportunity to be together as a church, as fellow believers in Jesus Christ for our eternal lives. Father, we do ask uh, for your blessing upon our service today. May you guide us and direct us. Give us your spirit to open our hearts to the singing and the preaching of the word. We also pray, for Lord, for, Lord, for those who are not with us, who uh, have illnesses, sicknesses that keep them from us or activities that take them away from us. We pray, Lord, that they would be healed and return to us and, and come uh, back and worship with us. We pray for those in our congregation right here, they would have physical needs, who have emotional needs and spiritual needs. We don't know them all, Lord. You do. That's why we come to you, the great physician. We present our request to you, for we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? Things of earth will grow strange 
like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power
our King Come let us bow at His feet He has done great What our Savior has done See how His love overcomes He has done great things He has done great things Oh Hero of Heaven You conquered the grave You free every captive And break every chain Oh God You have done
may be seated. Come on up here. So we have a treat this morning. We have uh, one of our youth here going on a, an evangelism and educational trip. Did I get it right? It's dual purpose, isn't it? So this is Lily Johnson. I, hope, I presume she's going to introduce herself here. But I've asked her to share about this trip uh, for about a minute or two, not four or five, one or two. All right. Okay. Go ahead. trip with Engage Apologetics, who is a ministry who is working on trying to prove God's existence to others and spreading it. I will be touring the rims with Grand Canyon Ministries, who will be explaining the different rocks and layers and the evidence to prove that there was a global flood and therefore there is a God. I will be staying in cabins, also provided by Grand Canyon Ministries, and I would be honored if you could help fund my trip, and if not, and if you are also, could you pray for it? I'd be very grateful. Thank you. That was like 45 seconds. (laughs) All right. You all know for some people, one or two minutes is like an eternity. For some people, it's like a blink. So you got to clarify. So, Lily, let me make sure we all understand. So uh, this trip, how much does the trip cost? You didn't tell us. $250, I think? Okay, so $250. So it's pretty affordable, actually. How much do you need left? $225-ish. So if you have some ish or some contribution to the 225, uh, can we give it to your mom or should we give it to you or Harley or what? To Harley? Don't give it to Harley. All right. Either Lily or Felicia. Felicia, would you wave your hand there? That's, that's Lily's mom. Uh, and so you can do that. It's not very much. It's very reasonable uh, as far as trips go. Um, so uh, anyway. It's a great thing that she's doing, and if y'all can afford to help her out a little bit, that'd be a great thing, and certainly in line with our mission here at El Paso Bible Church uh, to introduce people to Christ, uh, certainly, and to disciple them in those truths. Uh, Children, I wanted y'all to hear that, but now you can go to Children's Church, okay? So you can go now. Uh, Explorers are still over here, and adventurers are through the back there with Mr. Steve. You trying to fly or what? It's not going to work. Need some homeschool lessons in aerodynamics. All right. So we're going to continue this morning. Uh, we, we have, um, th- this is an important passage for us, right? We're, is Jesus still risen? We're not liturgical here, but this is the season of Easter, right? So we can still say that he is risen. He is risen indeed, isn't he? And he still has instructions for us. He has truths for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, But before we get to this, and because it's directly applicable, this passage, to the things that we need to pray for, uh, we're going to pray. We have a a good number of things um, that are um, health issues, particularly, that we ought to recall uh, and pray for. And so I'm going to do that, and I hope that you'll join with me as we do it and pray over our time in the Word. 
Father, we thank You for Your grace to us. We thank You for the life that we have as a free gift, simply by believing in Your Son and trusting in Him to give it to us. Uh, and Father, we, we love You, and we love this life that we have lived uh, in Him and are continuing to live in Him and, and looking to Your Word to tell us how it is that we're supposed to do that. And with the commands that we're, we're about to look at in mind, uh, Father, we ask uh, for strength for those in our body who are suffering from physical illnesses and difficulties in their lives, uh, that You would be able to bring these truths to bear in their lives, that they would be confident in them, uh, Father, and be able to apply them. But Father, we do pray for healing, uh, both physical and all others, that is needed in our body by certain folks. And Father, we just know that You are gracious and merciful, and You give all good things, and uh, You work them all together for the good of those who love You, and we do love You, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So here we are in 1 Thessalonians 5. I think that I have recently preached this passage, probably. Probably a Thanksgiving message. I don't remember the years. Y'all, like the holidays come pretty rapidly when you do this for a vocation. So I don't remember which Thanksgiving it was. But it's not that we're going to not do it again. It's always, it's always a new passage. This is something that people don't realize when you are, are committed to the type of teaching that we do at El Paso Bible Church. Um, there is enough material in the Bible that you might teach every verse only one time. But if you choose to preach a verse more than once, it's a new passage each time in a sense. You see things that you didn't see before. You may build on what you learned before, but it is always, always something new that you see in those passages. And so, it's particularly well-suited for me. I've told you all before that uh, I get bored easily, but I can't ever get bored looking at the Bible, studying Scripture. One thing that I I don't get bored with, um, and so it's exciting to me. But you remember where we are. Uh, We had a week off, not a week off, a week to the point. The point is always that He has risen, and He has given us instructions for this life to wait for His coming, right? I don't think I'm whacking anything here. Anyway, always. That He's given us instructions how to live our lives until we are with Him, free from the presence of sin and in His presence forever. Always. Last week we focused on the power of the resurrection, which is one of the things that enables us to live the way that Paul has been telling us to live in 1 Thessalonians 5 here. Remember that we're between two bookends. We're in a section that began with that God's will for our lives is sanctification, to be set apart, to be consecrated. Um, And that has two aspects. So, there's some things that we're supposed to be consecrated from. Uh, Specifically, he mentioned at the very beginning sexual immorality. He said everybody's supposed to know how to get their own wife. To put it plainly, that's supposed to take place. That's part of the instructions. And you're supposed to hold your marriage in honor. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So you're supposed to be consecrated from that. You're supposed to be consecrated to the love of the brethren, right? So that looks a lot… You know what? It looks a lot like El Paso Bible Church. It looks like a local church living together, living a quiet life, minding their business, hard working, 
supposed to be consecrated to these things. We're supposed to be consecrated to those things in the way we live our lives. We're supposed to be consecrated to certain doctrines, certain teachings of Scripture. The imminent rapture of the church that could take place at any moment. Consecrated to that, to grasp it, to be encouraged by it, to comfort others with it. So that we're encouraged rather than distressed. So that we're comforted rather than suffering. And then he moved from that. He said we're supposed to be consecrated to something else. We're supposed to be consecrated to appreciation. And as a corollary, maybe away from complaint. We're supposed to be consecrated to appreciating the people who are laboring among us. Remember, it wasn't about an office or not, although there should be some overlap there. The people who are working hard, serving the local church, giving sacrificially, appreciating the labor of others. We're supposed to all embrace certain tasks, admonishing the unruly or the insubordinate, right? People who don't want to follow the the authority within the church. It's a task for all of us. Another task for all of us is to encourage those who are faint, to help those who are weak, to be patient, and to seek the good of others. Remember, those are things that are commanded to the brethren. That's a real important thing. Uh, A lot of people try to narrow that audience down, right? And they'll say, well, y'all are supposed to appreciate those who work hard among you, but I'm going to bear this responsibility as a path. This is all to the brethren. This is all to the local church. I'm not sure what that is, but uh, it's probably my fault. Keeps popping on me here, guys. Um, Move this around. Well, that didn't help. The local church, right? Believers in Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit People who are joined together in in a community because they chose to. Y'all didn't show up here accidentally, did you? There are certain things that happen, and they seem almost accidental in my life. Y'all see my B pictures sometimes, right? Complete accident. I I popped into a beekeeper's meeting a few years ago, and the first thing they said to us, we have all of these bee removal requests, and nobody's doing them. Got out of control after that. Right, Jim? Gets out of control doing these bee removals. That could be said to be accidental. But y'all didn't show up here by accident, did you? No? You didn't just follow the donut delivery? No? No, you choose to fellowship. You choose to worship. You choose to have communion with each other, fellowship with each other, as we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. The way John talks about it at the beginning of 1 John. All members... And so we need to take the admonishment to the brethren in the local church seriously. We need to embrace the responsibility, right? We need to embrace the responsibility so that we can avoid culpability. Neither one of those words are very popular in culture, are they? Nobody has culpability and everybody denies having responsibility, right? That's what happens. That's not my fault. Y'all do watch the news, right? That's basically what it is. You guys can't afford food? We're not at fault. You guys can't afford gas? Well, we're not at fault. We're not even responsible for that problem. All the lies. All the lies all the time. 
But we want to embrace the responsibility so we do not have to embrace culpability for the failure, the blame. Sometimes people say I use big words. I guess that's a subjective definition. When we say culpability, that's blame. You all know what responsibilities are, right? One floating around social media, you know, you got responsibilities. That means you can never have fun again for the rest of your life. That's not true. We want to embrace the responsibility so that we do not have to embrace the culpability. (laughs) Sanctification is God's will for us, and He asks us to be responsible for certain things, admonishing each other. He's given us the freedom and the ability and the power to choose those things. That's by definition, because He's commanded us to do it, right? Yes? This is, parents all know this, right? Do not put that in your mouth. I said, do not put that in your mouth. Mm. I said, do not. The command is necessary because the ability to disobey exists, right? You don't have to do all of these things. He's given you the freedom to choose it, the power to choose it. He's given you the power of life, the power of resurrection, so that the local body can be a joyful, wonderful place to be where people lovingly sacrifice for each other for their good so that they can love and give people what they need and not what the Internet tells them they want. That's why this is important. So that we can go from this place and have a wonderful testimony. When someone tells you I was pillaged and traumatized and distressed by church, you can say, you know, I know a church that's not like that. I know a church that is a blessing every time we come together. I know a body that fellowships together who tells people hard things sometimes and comes back the next Sunday A lot of churches don't like that because it's a loving place, because we do what God's will is to be sanctified, to choose these things. So we need to keep that in mind, right, that we we need to choose to do these things. This is an important principle to keep in mind because there's a command here. I told you it gets to kind of bullet points here at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And it says in, here in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. It's an imperative. It's a command. Given to all of us, the brethren in the local church. It is not something that you should throw in the face of the elders when they correct you. (laughs) Hey, you're not supposed to be crazy. You're supposed to be rejoicing. It's something we're all supposed to be doing. Rejoicing always. Now, it's an imperative. It's an imperative for all of us. And I'm pretty sure that some of y'all have a similar bent to me. And I I know that might be distressing to you. Because I'm a little non-standard. But I think we have some similarities here. 
and that is that I'm a little bit of a contrarian. Y'all a little, I know some of y'all are a little bit contrarian. No one, y'all are stone cold still. There is not anybody breathing right now. You don't have to admit it. I'll admit it. I'll take it on the chin. I'm a little bit of a contrarian, right? And so I'm, and I'm pretty sure that some of y'all are overlapped there. When I was growing up, there were two things that my mom told me almost daily, almost daily. She would say, a verse from the time I was a small child, and she, I mean, she'd probably still do it. She would tell me, Josh, Josh, don't scowl. Don't scowl, Josh. I usually wasn't scowling. This is just my face. It's the one you gave me, Mom. Literally, I look pretty much just like her dad. Different eye color, maybe. This is my face. You may not like it, but it's the only one I got. Don't scowl! I'm, I'm not. And then the positive. Smile. Smile! Am I, am I supposed to switch? I'm supposed to switch. Right in the middle here. Didn't even get to finish my illustration. See who's in charge here. That's all right. Let me switch here real quick, guys. She told me to smile all the time. Oh. Was it already on, Larson? No, now it's on. I got. three or four. He beat me. I usually have two or three. Sometimes I have two pistols. That's accidental. One lives in my pocket and it just happens. You know, that's just an accident. I sometimes just say, look, I'm a super boy scout. I'm Be prepared, man. But my mom would tell me that. She'd say, don't scowl. And in the same breath, she'd say, smile! Well, I'm a bit of a contrarian. I think y'all are contrarian. And I didn't like that. Still don't like it. Didn't like it. I, you know, in general, I don't really like being told what to do. Right? And I've told you that the Bible doesn't care that I don't care, that I don't like to be told what to do. The Bible does not care. So that I have to deal with. But I don't really like to be told how I must feel. Do you? I don't like to be told how to feel. And I certainly don't like to be told to appear like I'm feeling some way that I'm not, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of being told to deceive somebody. If I'm being told not to scowl, but I need to scowl, because that's the accurate symptom for my emotive state, then if I don't scowl, I'm lying to you. Yes? But most of the time, I'm not scowling. We went over that. This is my face. You don't have to like it, but this is what it is. If I'm told to smile... When I feel like frowning, then I'm deceiving you. And here Paul has the nerve to tell me 
Rejoice. Always. Rejoice always. Is he telling me how to feel? I don't think so. I do think he's telling us how to respond to our emotions. There's an emotive component to the word. The idea is to take delight in something. To delight in it. Now that's not entirely emotive, is it? I can take delight as I do some mornings. If I'm not chasing bees or I'm not meeting with somebody early, I take my second or third or fourth cup of coffee and I go and I delight in a peach tree. Because, I mean, I told you, I'm a little bit strange, non-standard, not weird, non-standard. And I observe it and I appreciate it. But I don't feel an emotive condition necessarily towards it. Because that's weird, right? I'm not a tree hugger. That's the difference, right? Somebody who has an emotive connection with a tree has gone beyond taking delight in it. Beyond receiving joy from how God's creation is producing a little piece of sunshine in a globe on the tree, right? But I rejoice in God's creation taking place in my front yard. I take delight in it. And I can take delight in things without being told how I must feel exactly. It's not exactly the same thing. Rejoice always. Find the thing that God is doing that you can delight in at all times. That's how we, you know, we kind of understand this command wrongly, I think, to We're being told that we must feel a certain way. We stopped doing this, but the other thing I was told to do a lot of times, I mean, before I had a second to regret doing something to my siblings, I was told I had to apologize. Say you're sorry. I wasn't sorry. You just turned me into a liar. It doesn't mean that we always have to be smiling. That we always have to feel like smiling or have that emotive condition present in our lives. I think that's foolish to interpret it that way. If I find someone who's smiling all the time, I either grasp my wallet with both hands. Yes? If they're smiling all the time, keep your wallet where you can see it. Or I think you got hit on the head a little too hard. That's what I think. I, I don't really intrinsically trust someone who's just smiling all the time. I never see emotively affected by anything. I don't. doesn't mean we always have to be smiling. It doesn't mean we always have to be singing. Please, don't always be singing. Every once in a while, I get a wild hair to listen to a musical. Very rarely. And that does me for a while. It doesn't mean that we always have to have certain obvious symptoms of gladness or of happiness so that we can be assessed properly, so that other people 
will always know that I am now rejoicing. Because it's not about you necessarily. It is about my state and how I'm standing before God and how I'm choosing to delight in the things that he's doing and doing for me and among us. It doesn't really have anything to do with that. We're not supposed to check our brain and we're not supposed to try to Jesus juke everything and turn tragedy into a happy-go-lucky event. That drives me insane. When people can look at a hurricane that kills untold thousands of people and say, but it's really a good event. No, it's not. It's really a bad event. When lots of people die, that's not a positive. Rejoice. Take delight in what God is doing. But that doesn't mean that you're supposed to take every negative thing and turn it into a positive. The negative things that you see in the world are supposed to point you to the coming of Christ when He makes all things new, all things right, when sin is dealt with. You are not supposed to try to gratify the flesh by turning every negative cataclysmic event in your life as to something wonderful that you should celebrate. It's just stupidity. I would say you can't even rejoice if you don't make the strong demarcation between what the world is now and what you're waiting for in the future. Your joy is false. But you can be glad in what Christ is doing and that he's coming back for us. Take comfort and rejoice at all times that that truth is before us. Rejoice always. Here's another one. Pray without ceasing. Y'all stopped, didn't you? Did I interrupt you? Were you praying? Were you praying without ceasing? That's how we get it interpreted for us, don't we? Get a lot of frou-frou interpretations with that one. You're supposed to spend every moment in an attitude of prayer. Where's attitude in the verse? There isn't one. Pray without ceasing. Now that either means that you are being disobedient right now. I mean, y'all are praying. Some of y'all are praying, Josh, would you bring it to a close? We're hungry. Okay, so I understand. That's the common Sunday morning prayer. That's okay. I'm used to it. I got enough skin to deal with that every week for the rest of my days. It doesn't mean to pray every second constantly, although that it can, that, that is what that word means. But that's, that's difficult to make congruent with the commands that are in the New Testament, right? Please, please when you're driving, do not be engrossed in prayer every second. There are enough yellow license plates in El Paso that you need to have your eyes open. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. And I'm not kidding. I've almost, I mean, I had two hit and runs happen in front of me on Monday. Not, I wasn't involved in them. See, but that makes the point, right? If you're praying without ceasing, that's going to take your noodle. That's going to take your noose. That's going to take attention. And therefore, 
How, how quickly are you going to be able to apply your attention and your skill set and your thought process to the other acts of obedience that you're supposed to do? Can, now, I told people this. Some people have the impression that I'm a multitasker. I am not. I am a terrible multitasker. I am a highly efficient unitasker. I can only do one thing at one time, but I do it way faster than average in most cases. And so you might have the illusion of that. Most people are not actually multitaskers. And I'm going to tell you, if you're praying without ceasing, you're going to have a hard time admonishing the insubordinate at the same time. Because it takes, it does take brains to pray, right? Yeah. It's going to occupy your mind. You can't do it constantly. So is that what it means? I don't think so. It can't mean attitude because then we just went with some hermeneutic that's unrecognizable within the walls of El Paso Bible Church. And it can't be that you have to pray every second constantly around the clock. What does it mean? I mean, prayer has a a definition. It means to entreat, to intercede, to make a request. You need to be doing that, but it can't be done every second. I mean, some people are like that, right? They, they're very capable. And because they're very capable, you might ask them to do something. And you would say, please go do this job or do the, accomplish this task. And some people... Very few people will go and accomplish the task, and they will come to you and say, hey, I accomplished the task. Can I do another one? Like Other people who are perfectly competent to accomplish the task come to you every 20 seconds and say, would you come please observe what I'm doing or how I'm doing and approve of this all the time. One of those is conducive To accomplishing what God has for us. If you must interrupt the obedience that you're clear about what you need to be doing every time and, and, and break that up with prayer, I think that you create an obstacle out of something that's supposed to be supposed to be an assistance in your life. Now God's not going to squash you for praying too much. Okay. God's not going to squash you for praying too much. That's not what I'm saying. But we're finite beings, and we're not very good multitaskers, and we can't do both. And we are, it is incumbent upon us to follow at least these commands that are in this passage. And he's told us to do something, how to do it, that we have the authority and the power to do it, and we ought to do it. So the word to cease is a compound word, and it's a negated compound. It's kind of a long word, adialeptos. And the positive of the thing, the positive of the word, and this is going to take some explaining, means to abandon. Means to abandon. So leptos means to abandon. To negate that word means not to abandon in this context, in my understanding. I was wrong the one time. Y'all remember. 
I think better we should say pray without abandoning. You know, a lot of people do that. It's very easy to slip into never praying, isn't it? Isn't it? Especially in things that you are accustomed to succeeding at. What he's saying is, do not abandon prayer while you're doing these other things. Make sure that you pay attention to it. Do not abandon it. We would say that, you know, don't abandon fellowship. Don't abandon Bible reading. Don't abandon prayer. You need to be committed to it. But not in such an insecure fashion that it stands in the way of you doing the things that you know to do. Does that make sense? That's a a balance here. I've told you this story, or some of you this story, a long time ago. When I was in seminary, I worked for a company in Dallas. We were an executive gift company owned by a Dallas Seminary graduate, MABS graduate, who owned this business. And he would hire people. He hired a missionary's son to come and work, and he was a great kid. Worked, worked real well in our shipping department. One day we got talking, and I said, hey, man, what's your, what's your dad's uh, ministry? Because well, they, they ministered in China. They were there on uh, furlough and deputation, as it happens, right? Um, and, and he said to me, my dad's ministry is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. For this, uh, they were fully funded to go live in a residence in Beijing on full support for a ministry that was exclusively intercessory prayer. That's an example of how you might let prayer stand in the way of your obedience. Don't you think? Do you need to go live in Beijing on full support from churches all over the United States in order to engage in a full-time ministry of intercessory prayer? Nope. No, you don't. Functionally, I think, uh, I'm not trying to be overly harsh, functionally, I think that was an excuse to not do anything and be on full support while doing it. Now, did I hurt y'all's feelings? I hope not. Hope you all might be back next Sunday. Very clear example, right? That you can be, you can take that to such an extreme that you actually are good for nothing. But the command is to not abandon prayer. To not leave it off. Put it Keep it in its place regularly. Avoid the temptation. Is the, avoid the temptation to consider it insignificant. Avoid the temptation to consider it vacuous or unnecessary. So don't let prayer be abandoned in your life. Don't do that. It's part of God's sanctification process, how that works. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, in every experience, in every context, 
every place, every time. But again, you're not supposed to check your brain when you do this. In everything, give thanks. You don't need to give thanks uh, for multiple months of massive quantities of inflation. Do you need to give thanks that dollars are being robbed out of your pocket? No. You can give thanks for the fact that you have what you need. Do you need to give thanks that it now costs a hundred bucks to fill up your Kia? I have too many trucks for these kind of gas prices. No. But you can give thanks that you can buy it at any price. Yes? Same thing with food. <laughs> Y'all know I have a little bit of a menagerie in my backyard, and my, I have conversations like this with my boys sometimes. They ask me, Dad, is this really cost-effective? I said, you've misunderstood the goal. <laughs> it is not cost-effective. But there are circumstances on the horizon in which you may not be able to buy these things at any price. And then it does not matter. At any price. It should be concerning to you how many fertilizer plants have been exploding. How many food production industries are being destroyed. Just the distributor that a couple of us used burned down last week. start observing a, a pattern of that significance, you know, you start seeing intentionality somewhere. Point being that you can give thanks in everything without the foolishness that some people demand that you give thanks for everything. Right? Y'all understand the distinction? You don't have to be thankful for socialism or Disney or Netflix, forest fires or Joe Biden. But you can give thanks with all of those things going on. We can give thanks that all things work together for the good of those who love him. We can and we must. And that God is the cause of all those things working together for the good, always. God's will for our lives is sanctification. To be consecrated from just a few things. Did you notice that in 1 Thessalonians 5? But consecrated to so many others. Consecrated to joy. Set apart unto joy. Set apart unto prayer and set apart unto thanks. These things are God's will for our lives that we are supposed to be set apart unto them. That this is supposed to be our main MO. Joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. It's God's will for our lives. A superior one. It's a word that's not popular. Have you ever tried to say this is better than that? In this culture, this climate, this society right now? Yeah? This apple is better than that apple. Why do you hate black people? 
It's talking about apples. You can't say things are superior to others anymore. I'm here to tell you that God's will for your life is superior to anyone else's will for your life. Always. In all things. And that the way to enjoy that superior plan for your life is to rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. And to give thanks in everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we live this life with your will in mind and that you've given us the discernment and the understanding through your spirit to know what that means, what it looks like, and that it is a clear command in Scripture. And we look for the coming of your Son, Maranatha. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we dismiss with a song? Great.